Welcome one, welcome all, and welcome back to the 18th episode of the Transform Your Game podcast. My name is Richard, and I am the mostly high-functioning host and moderator here for you. It is my sincere honor to also be able to, to introduce my three co-hosts that are more than meets the eye. Kent? Synthetic life forms should have the same rights as everyone else. Yes, even Whirl. Kai? Screw the rules. I have money. And Joel? Hey there. <laughs> uh, last week, we talked through Wavespide Sealed a bit, uh, also managing to sprinkle in some general deck construction ideology from each of us for limited formats along the way. Uh, if you'd like a reference like that in article form, uh, go ahead and check it out. We put one up. It's kind of a primer for sealed construction on our website, transformyourgame.net. Uh, this week, in a move I think many probably expected for those of you who are longtime listeners, uh, we'll be returning our focus to the realm of constructed play for the Transformers TCG in order to tackle a question probably on some of your minds, even if you weren't all aware of it yet. Uh, but while I keep you teased and on the hook before I announce the actual topic, I thought we should cover some of the quick housekeeping bullet points before we settle into the main discussion for the week. I think we really only have two points uh, as far as housekeeping goes this week. The first of which is it looks like, at least right now, the Hunter Bird Memorial Open is still on, uh, barring any future update. They are currently scheduled for August 7th and 9th in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, and on the Saturday in that window of time, there's actually planned to be a TFTCG tournament um, that, you know, all things considered and is being safe, we're all planning to go. Uh, second, and yes, really the last bit of housekeeping, I know it's normally longer than this, uh, Wizards of the Coast released a rules FAQ for some of the common specific situations in regard to Wave 5 and the wonkiness it has brought with it uh, through heads and all sorts of timing abilities. And um, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but Drew said that they're going to uh, do FAQs a little bit less frequently than they have in the past, but they are going to continue to address people's questions as kind of like a uh, supplement to the rules. Um, uh, now I think I've probably kept you guys uh, waiting long enough. Our topic for today is deck building for a settled metagame. What's a settled metagame, you ask? Well, for the purpose of defining that, we're going to start by laying out a spectrum of sorts for metagame status. Um, on the one hand, you'll have a new metagame. I think this is probably like the, the least discovered point. New metagames are full of potential. They're undiscovered. You can't really count on what most people are going to bring to battle at tournaments. Uh, oftentimes they're full of kind of like updated versions of older decks from previous formats. Um, the opposite end of the spectrum from that is what we call a solved metagame. Solved metagames have normally, been, uh, pardon me, have normally been around for longer. They're lacking in too much potential as far as like unknown. Uh, best decks are typically known, and oftentimes they're in need of exterior action for a shakeup. Exterior action meaning either a ban or a restriction or card errata or an influx of new cards like a new set. Um, rotation is also something that counts among there. A settled metagame which is what we're talking about in the first place, exists somewhere in the midst of those two defined endpoints. Uh, there are some top contenders known normally in these metagames. People can really start to tune their decks to help against certain matchups, and the proverbial dust has kind of like begun to settle as far as inspiration goes for uh, new decks that come into the metagame. Uh, now that we've defined that for you, you're probably asking how this is helpful or what kind of concrete examples we might reference for the impact a metagame status actually has on your deck building. Uh, well, boom, meat and potatoes time. Uh, Kent, if you wanted to, I know you had a, a brief wave two context summary that you wanted to give us before we kind of, you know, dove into more recent metagame examples. Cool, awesome. Yeah, so for wave two, I uh, traveled a lot um, during that time. 
uh, both at the beginning and then all the way to Origins, which is having its uh, one-year anniversary right now. But um, actually, it's not, unfortunately, because of the whole virus thing. But in Wave 2, um, of course, the it's all about who's the beatdown at the beginning. So before the meta had begun to stabilize, Bugs was kind of out there. I was still playing cars. That was the main deck that I played uh, throughout Wave 1, along with two wide Optimus and then a three wide Optimus. But with Wave 2, it added a lot of like cool stuff like Wave 2 Bumblebee. And at the time, Reckless Charge was really good for that deck as well. Confidence, obviously and even Field Communicator working with Wheeljack. Then we saw the rise of Aerial Bots, which I never really played until I played in one of the qualifiers at Origins. I'd like put an Aerial Bots deck together, but never like actually really ran it through a gauntlet or anything like that, ran some games with it. Also right before Origins, uh, Sentinels was was on the rise. I think that was such a really unique design space that they used, and I hope to see something like that from the Transformers team again in the future. It mainly was aggro-focused with a lot of orange, uh, but then also people were putting in security checkpoint in it to get rid of your opponent's upgrades, and then flipping Mirage in the KO pile to now steal an action and basically leave your opponent with almost nothing in their hand. And sometimes backup beam also to help uh, Optimus trigger so he can flip more guys uh, so you can have potential combination. Before going to Origins, a couple weeks before, a um, good friend of mine, Adam uh, Eichberger, um, was playing the, the Dead Engine uh, deck. And I think he had uh, got like the base idea um, from one of the uh, content creators out there uh, who, I'm sorry, his name escapes me at the moment. But over those two weeks, him and I played a lot. And he changed that deck almost completely. And he made that thing into a monster. I was taking three wide Optimus to Origins, qualified with it, getting second place in the qualifier, and then eighth place overall in the main event. But his dead engine deck, I was so scared I was going to run into him because I knew it was an auto loss if I did. And he ended up making top 16. Way to go, Adam, there. Um, well, well, well deserved because that was basically his entire build. Um, and sometimes uh, Adam can get down on himself about like not being the best builder. Well, dude, you built the hell out of that and it was fantastic origins the third qualifier one of the wreck and roll guys brian uh made this deck bold factory with uh fireflight and wheeljack and rc and prowl and just like took me to the cleaners and then i played it in the fourth qualifier even though i was already qualified and then i ended up just throwing my match at the end even though i basically won and would have made top eight with it but that deck was real and that was a deck that came up in the middle of all of those qualifiers as an answer to the metagame and brian ended up making top four of the main event and i think it was a pretty close game <laughs> too he might have won that entire event uh had you know different things happened with flips and stuff like that so like Major props to Brian, like, 
I do believe that in almost any meta, like even when it's quote solved, something can come out of the woodwork and take everyone by surprise. And I think that that deck did, um, when we get to wave four, we all know what we're gonna say there about David Burgos. Sometimes a deck can just come out of nowhere and blindside everybody. So that's kind of a uh, wave two wrap up. Well, I appreciate that, Kent. And uh, the reason that Kent's doing the wave two wrap up is the rest of us didn't really travel for wave two very much. Um, I was still getting, uh, not my feet wet, but like more ingrained in the competitive game myself. And I think all of us have a lot more familiarity with uh, Wave 3 and metagames that come after it, right? So um, actually, on that note, Kai, do you want to uh, take us into the Wave 3 points? All right, so the Wave 3, it basically, um, the set release, and we had a month about, I believe, to test and whatnot. And um, I believe the Blaster set came out like a week before this, uh, before Gen Con. Which is the main event where uh, where most things pretty much like started to settle like after Gen Con. But um, at Gen Con, the main monsters that we had um, was Pisu Tyranny, uh, Lionizer Lisses. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty much just oh man, I'm gonna run into this Lionizer list that's gonna play Pisu Tyranny, and then I'm just gonna lose like two guys or something like that. And it was that was pretty much the sentiment going in, as well as just like Orange was like really strong. So. Um, in regards to that, we're going to just talk about the power of Peace Through Tyranny itself. And that, that was basically the first time we started seeing Peace Through Tyranny become one of those cards that became more powerful as sets came out. Because now you have an actual incentive to want to KO your characters via the Battlemasters. And um, for those of you who are, un are unfamiliar, Battlemasters basically became an upgrade whenever they get KO'd. So... Uh, at wave three, the most prominent ones were the weapons because um, a piece of tyranny, but also just like once they died, they had an actual use. So um, I believe those were the only ones released at the time too. But uh, yeah, that was basically the general sentiment of um, of piece of tyranny and how it just started to evolve. But um, one of the questions that we have for the cast right now is, what do you guys think were some of the big shakeups and important players when Siege One was released? And why did, why or how much did they matter, and what did they teach us? Well, I think that uh, that Peace or Tyranny was obviously one of the big players. If you're talking about uh, bots or uh, battlemasters, definitely Private Fire Drive uh, was a really big one. Whenever whenever I did uh, my Wave Three release event, uh, I had a Private Fire Drive in my card pool and I was like well this is the only Battlemaster I got I guess I'll try this guy out I mean whatever he's not Lionizer but uh, I guess I'll use him and he was absolutely busted in every <laughs> game that I played I was like okay this is easily the best the best Battlemaster uh, sh don't tell anybody well I mean uh, as y'all were as you were talking about uh, Blaster uh, my friend Vince from Vector Sigma he like Unleashed, uh, unleashed fire, uh, fire drive on everybody at 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 uh, Gen Con, making top four with his blaster deck that was powered by card draw and by fire drive and by peace through tyranny, like you were just talking about, using peace through tyranny to you know for the very first time, really people giving extra turn out of, out of peace through tyranny. Peace through tyranny, uh, at least through the wave one and wave two meta games, at least the way that I was playing it was basically blank. Uh, Text-wise, and only in there for for the two pips. I mean, it was it was just a fourth, fifth, and sixth copy of Improvised Shield. 
for the most part. But once Battle Masters were, were released, it, it became a, a major, major thing to do. Hey, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow up guy and throw a huge weapon on somebody and then swing in really hard and then i'm going to take another turn with my aggro deck because the aggro decks were 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 the thing there uh and, and that's been the case for the most part during the early parts of most waves yeah i um i think those are all strong points i think one of the cool things about battle masters and peace through tyranny so i think if you look at security checkpoint through the first two waves uh if you look at like the double pip actions, the rare actions from wave one, PC Journey and Security Checkpoint, I think it's pretty obvious that this first couple of waves, the more powerful powerful card or more impactful card in a game-to-game, you know, like matchups, was Security Checkpoint. It was easier to break the symmetry on, you could kind of turn it from having being a cost into not having much of a cost. And I think up until the printing of like Battle Masters and Weaponizers, uh, you couldn't really do that with Peace Through Tyranny. There wasn't much way to mitigate the cost that it comes attached to the card, because what it does is really, really powerful, right? Uh, and what it grants you, the resources that it actually grants you are, are, you know, incredible. But you have to find a way to make the cost either be low, or you have to find a way to kind of exploit it where it's not being used so much. So I think that's one of the reasons why Peace Journey kind of comes to the advent, or I guess comes to the forefront of the format. Um, when Wave Three gets released, now I, I one of the one of the things that like was really uh, people were trying to basically be the best Peace to Tyranny deck or the best Battle Master deck, and I think that's one of the interesting like like kind of axes to pivot your metagame around. So I think that's one of the reasons why we started to see cards decks really come to the forefront, right? So at least at the beginning part of the format, and I think one of the reasons for that is is once your Peace through Tyranny ing. If that's a to use a weird verb, uh, and putting one of the weapons onto your characters. One of the things you want to do is you want to get as many uses out of that busted weapon as you possibly can. So one of the, I think one of the easiest ways to do that is to untap your guy. And cars, as an archetype, just had access to way more untap effects than anybody else. Playable, real untap effects, and because of Cliff Jumper, they also had access to a really, really powerful card draw engine to make sure they could find those untap effects more often. They could also find their piece through tyrannies more often. So they were kind of able to mostly compete for the spot of like best piece through tyranny deck. But they weren't the only aggro deck. I think you know Joel mentioned Blaster and. Uh, we start to see other players into the metagame later on. But I think that's one of the cool things, is that Wave 3 really had an axis that its metagame was revolving around, and I think that maybe there was less of that in the first couple of waves. Uh, there was more just like good cards, and I think you really start to see a metagame take shape around a particular aspect of the game in Wave 3. I think that's one of the reasons why it's a metagame that evolved over time and really saw kind of like some shakeups over the history of its uh, solving, quote-unquote. Yeah, for... Uh, Joel and I, we were thinking about doing a last-minute trip to Gen Con because uh, uh, we were working on a combo deck back then that was just ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> we both had, like, work commitments, though, so we were like, well, we're only going to go for really sure this is just going to dominate. And then they literally banned a card a couple of... Uh, weeks before and I think we just canceled our plans because we hadn't playtested much else we were just trying to crack that them banning swap parts definitely ruined the day I mean some people think that some people think combo is uh, really really difficult to have as part of a metagame 
I don't think that, but I'm just saying some people were probably really happy it happened. Uh, that that deck and that iteration probably needed to go. So and swap parts like we had a Thundercracker deck that combo deck that was just absolutely insane after um, Origins. Too bad we didn't figure that out in time uh, for Origins. But then once the Wave 3 cards came out, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is combo on steroids and should not exist. And they did the right thing. They got rid of swap parts and then it went away. Okay, so so yeah, like like we like we talked about, um, the the beginning of of most most metagames seem to start out with aggro. But, but as uh, anybody that played during the Wave 3 metagame knows, it sort of ended up with uh, Major Shockwave decks being, being the main thing, which, which made sense because at the end of the Wave 1 meta, Battlefield Optimus Prime Battlefield Legend decks were, were, were the thing, and I, and I mean control ones with, with mostly blue pips. And he, he mostly maintained his power through Wave 2. I, I suppose that, that aggro still had his thing, but it was mostly just bugs. And then, uh, but then, but then the beginning of wave three was lots of cars, like what Richard was saying. Um, and and I and I wanted to to go back to what Kent was saying about Adam's deck with with a dead end. Uh, I I took that deck that that he made, which was mostly blue. Uh, or actually, the deck that he made was orange, but the deck that I made with it was mostly blue because I really liked his idea. And to go back to our previous point that Kai brought up about Peace Through Tyranny, Peace Through Tyranny was so powerful with, with the Battle Masters that the deck that I made was all blue except for Peace Through Tyranny so that I could use cars and fire drive because, man, I just I fell in love with fire drive and throw him on a guy and then take that free turn and then, hey, untap that guy. And then swing again. I mean, it was like just a super powerful, super powerful thing. So, so uh, aggro is is the is the the thing at the beginning of most metas, at least as far as wave three on. You know, wave three, wave four, even wave five. Now, I think most people would agree that that seems that aggro is a thing. But major shockwave was was what was going on at the end of the wave. So, you you know, you have to ask. During the early part of the early part of the wave metagame, how, how did how did Shockwave combat that? Like, what what things did Shockwave have to think about answering, and and what specific challenges did the the metagame pose for control decks uh, like Shockwave? How did Shockwave start to tackle those problems? I don't want to take away anybody's thunder, but I think one of the things that really helped the aggro aggro get knocked down and Shockwave to take over. Because even though Shockwave was just as powerful at the beginning of Wave Three as he was at the, uh, at the end of Wave Three, I mean, as far as his actual abilities, they didn't change anything with Shockwave, but they did remove uh, one of the major hindrances to cards like Shockwave, which was press the advantage through banning it. True, true. As being a cards player, um, I really love that archetype so much. Um, the weakness with cars is not being able to get enough untaps to make these major swings keep happening. Um, so what Shockwave did is he's able to deplete your hand. One reason why all the cars decks run, you know, Cliff Jumper or some are running Wave 2B was 
the fact that it just gives you all this engine to draw into your untaps or to even draw into I still function in a crucial moment too. So if your opponent's playing three wide and you're playing three wide, but you've untapped a couple times, it's almost like you're five wide. And now like, hey, your big boy is out there and I'm just gonna double team him right now and kill him, he's, he's gone. Uh, but what Major Shockwave did is it was able to create card advantage um, through his being able to play a card off the top, um, being able to draw a card when he flips to his alt mode, and then deplete your opponent's uh, card advantage if they have any, and, to, and force them into a position where they're almost like having to top deck every card. You've got his gamma launchers that make your opponent discard when he flips to alt, makes you discard as well. Some variants were running at least one espionage. So that's how I think Shockwave was able to do it. And I still think that card even now is better than some people may give him credit for. I, I think those are all strong points. So I think that... One of the things that I found when I was playing cars, because I actually played cars a lot, believe it or not, even though I'm uh, classically known as the Jetfire guy, I am Mr. Extra Padding or whatever, right? Like, um, both literally because I need to lose a little weight and also because I love the card. Uh, but if we're just talking about like what Wave 3 looked like for me, I actually qualified for EI using a cars deck, an orange cars deck. And I think that one of the most frustrating things I experienced when I was playing cars was how necessary the untaps were, like you were mentioning, Kent, right? The untaps were so crucial to that deck because uh, three wide aggressive decks typically lost to four wide aggressive decks. I'm looking at you, Bugs. Um, and so you needed to manufacture width and be able to manage the attacks of your opponent. On top of that, one of the really frustrating parts about cars was, believe it or not, even though it was typically based in an aggressive deck, unless you're counting shells like the one Joel was mentioning earlier, um, you often didn't attack for that much, like, per character. Like, the attack of the car's characters is, like, four or five, uh, which, you know, for eight and upstar characters is, like, not that much, with the exception, obviously, of uh, Wheeljack, who was the biggest, baddest attacker <laughs> on the planet during that, right? Uh, I think it's one of the reasons why so many people favored Lionizer when they were first uh, building car's decks. Um, a lot of the time, just because of the fact that he really augmented your ability to cause da damage offensively. Um, even though he didn't add much consistency to your ability to get untap effects. Uh, I think that one of the things that Shockwave was able to do was because it had such a, a good way of taxing its opponent's hand through Gamma, through gamma Blasters, Gamma Launchers? Why can't I can't remember the... Gamma Launchers. Gamma Launchers, thank you. I, Kai would know, he played so much Shockwave. Um, Game launchers or his ability himself or espionages, etc., etc., is that he made it really hard for your for your opponent who was playing cars to get an untap and a relevant combat um, adjuster. Whether it was start your engines and like a grenade launcher, or whether it was like reckless charging or turbo boosters, it made it, he made it really hard for them to do both of those things on each of their turns. It was a really really heavy tax into their hand. So normally you were making your opponent pick between either having untaps with characters who were kind of swinging for piddly damage, um, or you were, you were having cards that swung for a lot, but you weren't able to manufacture that width that was so integral to your game plan. And I think that's one of the things that Shockwave did really, really well, on top of the fact that because the opposing aggressive shells were not that high damage output, 
uh, you didn't have to pose a bunch of relevant attackers. You just needed at least one character who was constantly clocking uh, your opponent when they were swinging. And Shockwave at 17 health and two or three defense pretending, uh, without any adjustment based on mode was huge. On top of the fact that, as Joel mentioned, um, Shockwave dealt with the biggest problem it had, which was press the advantage by uh, you know pushing Watsi some money under the table for them to ban that card. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a really sneaky strategy I didn't see coming, but, you know, well-deserved. I'm surprised you figured that out. Damn. <laughs> the conspiracies. I'm smarter than I look, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's so... Out of everyone here, I've played Shockwave the most, so I'm going to be giving Shockwave's perspective on this side. Um, so, honestly, I think this match, the matchup for, like, cars and... Uh, one other deck I'll talk about later, um, specifically cards right now, because that was the early metagame monster, uh, quote unquote, after like the first qualifier. But um, so Shockwave, um, the main thing about him was that he was able to play secret actions and Decepticon cards off the top of the deck when he was in bot mode. So that basically enabled you more access to more cards. And if you didn't see a card you wanted on top that you could play, you could just flip to alt mode in order to grab it and then start digging through your deck for more with fewer communicators and all that stuff. But um, it basically got to a point to where you were basically able to set up Shockwave to the, the glorious 12 attack that he was and swing and just start killing uh, characters every time he swung. But um, part of the problem with him doing that is that at the time there weren't enough good secret actions. I don't believe Battlefield Report should have ever been considered, but that was one of the ones that we had to consider at the time <laughs> because um, uh, Hidden Fortification did not exist yet, so Battlefield Report and um, Infiltrate were the two easy, best ones at the moment, as well as a Hiding Spot if you could afford the Black Pips. Um, so yeah, it, basically it came down to uh, if you had to Infiltrate for their Peace of Tyranny or their Press Advantage. But um, yeah, it's it was basically came down to that. If you could stall them in long enough because you were playing like Skydive and uh, Flame War, so Skydive had tough three and then Flame War is her, her usual beefy self. If you were able to stall enough with that and get Shockwave suited up long enough, you would probably be able to win the matchup because um, you were also scrapping your hand as uh, the guys have mentioned before previously. But uh, in relation to Blaster, which I actually think is the best deck of uh, Wave 3, um, the reason why he had so much trouble against Blaster is not only can they play Press the Advantage, uh, they can play for free um, because Blaster plays a card off the deck for free. And the only way you could really win that matchup is if they either miss with, by hitting Improvised Shield or Peace of Tyranny, or if uh, they're, they didn't have the Force Field on their Ram Horn and you somehow uh, were able to block enough. But uh, Blaster was a main problem because Infiltrate could only stop one of those uh, cards. So if you, they managed to flip an action off their top of the deck with Blaster, then you ha you were SLL and you had to play the Infiltrate. And then if they had another one, then there was no way you could combat that. On top of the fact that uh, Blaster also has this ridiculous orange card called Daring Counterattack that gives mm. one of their characters Pierce 6. Pierce so, 6. <laughs> so... On top of having to deal with Press the Advantage and Peace of Tyranny, Blaster also had access to Daring Counterattack. And that was why that matchup was just really hard and why I ended up losing two Vince in Top 32 at Gen Con because of that. Uh, the games that he did get those on, I won, but 
um, it was still really tough to to squeak that win. So, yeah, I, I think Blaster was like the main problem for Shockwave at, uh, at, during that metagame, for sure. Yeah, I, during Counterattack, Belligerence V1 in the card file, <laughs> right? Um, I think that... So I think it's interesting you bring that up, Kai, that you thought Blaster was possibly the one of the maybe the best deck near the end of the format because the last tournament before Wave Four got released, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think it was PBT Columbus, mm -hmm. um, and Stefan won that playing a and I I think I remember this. I think I've, I've ribbed him about this a ton of times. I think it was like 43 cards or 42 card <laughs> deck with Major Shockwave um, as the centerpiece, uh, and I think it was I think it was Skydive and Flame War. I know it was Flame War. I don't remember who the six star. Maybe it was like Hot Rod or. Um, who's the Red Heat? Is it like the, the six-star range? Red Alert. Red Alert. Red Thank alert. you. Thank you. I could not remember that for some reason. Um, but so a lot of what he looked to put in his shell was uh, really solid. I think that, you know, playing Red Alert, man, he had access to a ranged character, so he got access to some of the ranged uh, damaging cards, armed hovercraft and marksmanship and such. However, um, I, you know, Kai, I know you mentioned that Blaster was a particularly problematic uh, deck for most of the metagame to handle, particularly like it was very good against Shockwave. Um, and I was wondering uh, what, what you guys kind of, Kent and Joel in particular, what you guys had in your experience thought was near the end of the Wave 3 meta when it was getting close to being solved or really stable, what you thought the best deck in that metagame was, had done the best job of targeting the rest of the field. Well, for me, uh, I mean, I, I really thought it was Blaster. Um, as When Blaster was was uh, was spoiled. Uh, Kent and I put together a blaster deck with some proxies, and <clears throat> uh, we we thought it was absolutely ridiculously sick. It 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 just completely dusted every blue deck we put it against, including three wide prime, which was you know the big thing at the time, and in mm -hmm. wave two. Uh, so it wasn't going to have any problem with with shockwave, but but the meta was uh, the meta was orange, <clears throat> so. It wasn't quite as good against Orange, uh, so uh, sort of put that away. But 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 Blaster, Blaster was absolutely uh, crazy, and and it was it was really the ability to play a free card off the top. Like you get 27 characters worth of worth of, or sorry, 28 characters worth of uh, stars worth of characters. Stars worth of characters, or if you ran a seven star, you got 20 27. Uh, so. So there, there was that. Plus, you're getting to play free cards off the top as long as you didn't accidentally flip over Peace Through Tyranny or Improvised Shield. I mean, you're getting your, you're getting a free grenade launcher or a free power punch or, or free supercharge or something. I mean, you're just like, yeah, I get that and another supercharge and a grenade launcher. I mean, like the deck was, was really, really strong for what, what was available to deal with it at the time. So I mean, Blaster. I, every time a new set comes out, I, I, I mean, you guys, you guys can attest to this. I mean, uh, when when Wave Five was was, uh, we were in the middle of spoilers. I, I was like, well, yeah. How does this go with Blaster? <clears throat> I mean, Blaster is. I, I know it's not like the game's been out for ten years or something like that, but Blaster <laughs> sort of standing the test of time, uh, as as far as his power level. Uh, there's been a little bit of power creep through through Wave Five, but Blaster is still a really powerful really powerful character with really powerful mechanics. Just the ability to play cards for free, just for flipping him over is uh, is what made him 
so dominant, I think. Yeah, Blaster was probably the best deck. Um, we were fooling around with a lot of Shockwave builds, and we really liked that. Um, we also thought Cars was still up there. But when they spoiled Blaster, I mean, I remember Joel and I on driving somewhere on the highway, and us just like laughing at how absurd that character was and how absurd this like deck was that we were going to build with him. And we were going to use Frenzy to basically maul any blue deck. Like, hey, you can't use tough, and like here I come for a million right now. I mean, it's just that that was the pre-belligerence belligerence was frenzy with like grenade launcher and supercharge and whatever else blaster flipped you know i mean it was just so sick because you couldn't do anything about it blaster really really good that card's still really really good and i missed the uh standalone products between sets <laughs> good thing getting the pot shot in there uh, yes i actually <laughs> i miss it i li- I, I like that stuff i like getting more cards i mean i wish they i wish we had more opportunities to get more new cards i mean they gave us some great stuff right they gave us work overtime and reclaim they gave us blaster um and steel jaw and uh ravage and frenzy ramhorn and then the other three characters i know i didn't mention Soundwave on purpose um (laughs) but uh I think that near the end of Wave uh, 3, I actually started to see, or sorry, um, uh, yeah, the end of Wave 3, I really started to see a bunch of success, again, with traditional bugs. I know that kind of sounds crazy, uh, but your damage output was just so crazy, was just so insanely high. Um, and I just felt like a lot of times, uh, particularly if you got to go first, just the difficulty that was Scrapnel in a metagame that was orange except for, you know, a couple of decks um, was just so hard for your opponent to answer uh, that, that that deck just really proved incredibly good uh, for me when I was I was playing it near the end. Um, I wish that cards had stayed good. I loved drawing a bunch of cards, as you'll see when we get to the Wave 4 discussion. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, I wish that cards had, like, stayed king the whole time. Um, but yeah, that's, I ended up going back to regular old bugs. Uh, speaking of Wave 4, um, I think that that's probably a good place to leave Wave 3 in. Uh, that will bring us to the close of Episode 18 of the Transforming Game Podcast. I just wanted to say once again how much we appreciate all of you out there in the ether listening. Whatever platform you're on, you can find our other episodes and the ones coming up on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast needs met. Uh, There will certainly be links in the description to help you out there. And if you found the input and information here valuable, you can find more strategy, analysis, tournament reports, and more like it at transformergame.net. And we look forward to being back to speak to all y'all next week. But until that time, clear eyes, flip bots, can't lose.